Welcome to another episode of Beyond Queer Stories. Today we have cellist and composer Aurora Laurie, who seeks to amplify the voices of classical musicians who have been marginalized both historically and in the present. Their collaborations include performances with the Fifth Wave Collective, a Chicago-based ensemble which performs music by women, and an ongoing series of works written for their sister trumpeter Vivica Laurie. They enjoy performing Baroque music, new music, and everything in between. Aurora is diagnosed with depression, general and social anxiety, and some other fun things. Their favorite coping mechanism is lipstick, and when they're not doing music-related activities, you can find them binge-watching a series of unfortunate events or reading a fantasy novel. Yay, welcome. Welcome. We're excited you're here. So excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so start us off. What identities do you feel most influence your experiences? That's a good question. I, it's difficult because I like, I'm constantly changing the language I use to describe mm-hmm. myself in terms of my queerness. Cause like when I was first coming out, I was like, I have to have a word for everything. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like, I'm queer. You don't right. need to know my sexuality yeah. unless you want to, you know? Yeah. Um, I think being sexually attracted to people who are not men is a big thing as well as being non-binary. I definitely also think that I've grown up with a lot of privilege in with regards to my whiteness and my parents' financial status. So that's um that influences me in terms of like I don't always want to be the person who talks most in any in a room, especially if it's a room full of other non-binary people. Um yeah. And my identity as a classical musician is a lot <laughs> of who I am. So you said you binge watch the series of unfortunate events. Have you watched Umbrella Academy? I have not yet. I've been told it's really good. That's my only question. Done. To be fair, to be fair, right now I can't think about anything except Game of Thrones. Oh, fair. And I'm also a... Star Trek Discovery. Okay, okay, that's fair. I know, like everyone's in love with the fact that it's coming back, and it's the last season, so like. I appreciate the fact that you committed so much to Game of Thrones, because <laughs> I am not a Game of thrones I The amount to which I have committed is a lot. I rewatched season seven in preparation for season eight, and I am planning to rewatch the entire thing after season eight comes out. Oh, wow. How long would you say, I mean, how long is the series of Game of Thrones? Cause I've, I think I've watched up until like the seventh episode of the first season. Okay. So I'm like aware of who the characters are but not like committed but i'm also aware of like the fact that when somebody says when they're trying to spoil a show like everyone dies like this is actually that show like everyone actually dies (laughs) (laughs) i i would say so seasons one through six are 10 episodes and they're all about an hour long Okay, so 60 hours plus. (laughs) Yeah. So work week plus some. Right. (laughs) Like like one and a half work week. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And uh, and season seven was seven episodes, but they were a couple of them are a little longer. Mm -hmm. And season eight is going to be six episodes. But I think like. At least four of them are significantly longer than an hour, like between an hour and an hour and a half. Mm, so I would say time. probably the total would be around 80 hours. 
All right. There you go. Two work weeks. <laughs> yeah, I just have to find some way to make money in that time so I can watch other shows. <laughs> <laughs> Spread it out over the summer. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. So I also want to know more about um, your music. Like, how did you get get into this? Yeah. Like, what made you go into this? So um, I was homeschooled K through 12 by my father. And my parents um, wanted me to have a really well-rounded education. So they started me on piano when I was like seven or eight. And when I was about 10, they were like, do you want to play another instrument? And I took almost two years to decide on the cello. Mm -hmm. And once I decided, that was it. I, I decided actually because I saw a chamber music performance live. And that's where like... There's a small group of musicians and all of them are playing their own individual part as opposed to an orchestra where like all of the cellists are playing the same thing most of the time. And so when I saw that like doing my own thing was a possibility, I was like, I want to do that. And then I progressed fairly quickly, I would say, my first couple of years because I started when I was almost 12 and within a couple of years, I was principal of the local youth symphony and that was a fun experience it was good and i like i think part of me was like well this is the one thing that i'm actually good at so i should do it for the rest of my life (laughs) and then like part of me was like this feels good when i do it it feels like i'm able to connect with people um it feels like i'm able to express myself not using words is good because I am not always good at words Mm -hmm. and um so I think I decided like early high school possibly even eighth grade that I wanted to study cello performance in college and after that it was just a process of like getting to a technical level where I could apply applying getting rejected getting accepted getting money Mm -hmm. going how do you go about applying for that in school or for like a college degree? So there are differences between colleges and conservatories mm-hmm. because a conservatory is like there's much less of an academic focus. And it really it does depend on the individual institution a lot of the time because some institutions I remember for undergrad, some of them wanted me to apply through the Common App and some of them wanted me to apply through like their specific application portal. There's an audition. There's always a live audition, I believe. Some schools do a pre-screen, which is where you send in a video recording of yourself unedited. And that's the basis on which they decide whether or not they want you to audition in person. So that can be nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. I've never actually passed any of the pre-screens. Oh, what? I had, I had uh, four for my undergrad and two for grad. Uh, I did my grad auditions this well, I guess the first one it was in November, but mostly this January and February. So yeah, the audition for undergrad. I mean, one thing that's good to do, I don't know if everyone does it, but I have certainly tried to do it, is like have a lesson with the teacher you would want to study with. Because one of probably the most important thing for any performance degree is the relationship between the teacher and the student. And so it's really important to get a sense for whether you'd be a good fit. 
I'm going to shamelessly plug Umbrella Academy one more time because <laughs> <laughs> everything you said reminded me of a character in an Umbrella Academy. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, really? I'm gonna put, yes. I'm going to put this in my notes app. Is there a certain performance that really stands out to you that was different in some way or was very memorable in some way? Oh, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> for different reasons. Yeah. I think um, sophomore year of high school, my first concert in the youth orchestra I was in that year, we played Supe, Light Cavalry Overture, uh, Sibelius, Finlandia, and Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony. And that was... Our conductor at the time was Kitaro Harada. This was the Phoenix Youth Symphony. And he was just so energetic. And he he was really good at like making us excited about what we were playing. And that was the concert that like made me fall in love with Tchaikovsky's fifth symphony. Cause like most musicians you talk to will say the sixth symphony is their favorite, but I've always, I've always loved the fifth. Do you see yourself being like a professional cellist? Is that, I was saying that word. Yes. Like performing like bigger and bigger, bigger places every single time you perform. Is that your goal of yours? I would say my goal, my goals are shifting okay. and there, I think I think they're always going to shift, but one more recent goal of mine that I think is going to stay is performing music by women, by trans composers, by composers of color. Nice. And so that is not necessarily something that will immediately get me like a ton of widespread rec- recognition. So I'm probably not going to be like a soloist in Carnegie Hall anytime (laughs) soon. And I'm very okay with that. Like as long as I'm doing work that's meaningful to me Mm -hmm. and at least one other person, and as long as I am making enough money to survive, that's good. Yeah. Very humble. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. And I imagine that's, it might be a challenging avenue to like pave the way of like how established is that right now? Is it something that's kind of getting more attention or? Women composers are getting more attention, definitely. Okay. And and there is work being done to be more inclusive of trans composers, queer composers, composers mm-hmm. of color. It's, um, it's tricky because like the way that I automatically want to think about it is like, I want to reach the audience who already cares, but mm-hmm. I also have to make the old white guys who are in charge of everything care. <laughs> Yeah. So that's um it's relatively easy for me just to be like I never want to play music by a man again. I never want to like be in contact with any of these large classical music organizations again. But the reality is that you know, it's a process and I do if I want to be involved in this kind of musical activism, I do probably need to rethink my approach in some ways. <laughs> Sounds like it's really important to have allies at those levels then and figure out who those people are. Yeah. It's difficult. Yeah. When you say musical activism, because I feel like I've heard that word before, but um, nobody's really gone into detail about it. When did you want to like be involved with that? Like, When was that your focus? Well, I think since I started coming out as non-binary, I've been like, activism is a thing I should be involved in and I felt a lot of guilt about not maybe not being as visibly 
activist as some other people I know. And so it's tricky. I think like over the past year or so, things have crystallized into like, this is a potential avenue for me to continue doing music the way I want to do it while also being activist-ish, doing activist things. Yeah, I think that that started about a year ago, like my my thought process becoming formed into that. You think it's more difficult finding more like ways to incorporate your activism with your music than it would be just like playing regular music? Define difficult because <laughs> I I mean there like no there there is nothing easy about be, mm-hmm. being a classical musician in any situation. There's definitely a lot of people in classical music who just don't think about the fact that over 90% of the music we play is by white European men who died over 100 years ago. So, well, maybe maybe not died over 100 years ago. Maybe died over 50 years ago. Let's, let's do that because we do play Stravinsky and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, so it's... It's difficult in the sense that, like, what I'm doing is something people haven't thought about necessarily. But I I wouldn't... I try not to, like, compare levels of difficulty because also it's, like, impossible for me to know what someone else is going through. Like, I'm mentally ill. I'm doing this. This is a certain level of difficulty for me, but I would never presume to understand someone else's experience just by looking at them or even from having talked to them a few times. Mm -hmm. So, like, someone who is mentally ill and who has won a job in a major symphony orchestra, like that could have been an extremely difficult process for them. And so like, yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> uh, it makes me kind of think too, of how do you kind of manage or cope with the social anxiety piece and then being a performer and being in front of people all the time? I actually don't get performance anxiety very much. Okay. And when I do, it's because I haven't prepared and I know that about myself and I still don't prepare well and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm getting better slowly. It's a process. I think the social anxiety more directly affects how I practice because I'm like, I have all of this stuff to practice, and if I don't practice, people are going to notice, but I can't practice because there's too much and I don't know where to start. So mm-hmm. it's like all of the anxiety combining itself and just like shutting me down. Yeah. And then also the social anxiety just impacts like how I interact with people and how I'm like, like last night I was, I was like unable to stop thinking about something I had done the previous day and I was like, yeah. <laughs> the listeners won't be able to see my face, but y'all did. <laughs> they made a very angry face. <laughs> like a grr face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was I was I was so frustrated with myself cuz I was like I cuz I was trying to distract myself and that wasn't working. But then I like tried to t- tried to write it out into a blog post and that like only half worked. Mm. And then I was like what am I supposed to do? I need therapy. I can't get therapy. (laughs) Yeah. What has access to therapy been like for you? You mentioned that, that that's been challenging and like both of us having like mental health interests and backgrounds, like those barriers are really unfortunate that they're there for so many people. So, um, I'm on my mom's insurance. 
she's a freelancer. She works from home and she lives in Arizona. So these are those facts. And I've been to counseling services at my school. This was two years ago now, about. And first of all, I was not ready for therapy at that time. Secondly, the counselor I was seeing, I didn't feel 100% comfortable with. And I wasn't sure how to handle that, so I just ran away. Mm. And I knew that I needed therapy, but I also knew that I wasn't ready. So I took some time away. And then, like, for the past six-ish months, I've known, like, I'm ready for therapy. I need therapy. And so I went on, like, psychology today and, Mm. like, narrowed it down, like, using my criteria. Like, this is the type of therapy I want. This is the location. I would rather not see a therapist who's a man. And when I reached out to a few therapists, they all wrote back and they're like, we don't take your insurance. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> so it's the out-of-state insurance that is well, one of the big challenges? or It's it's an insurance company that, that none of these therapists had heard of. Mm. So after that, I was pretty discouraged. But I think I think things are gonna be looking up because I'm gonna be in London next year for grad school and I have UK citizenship, which means I'm covered by the NHS. Mm. So hopefully something good will happen. Yeah, go get that healthcare while right. you're there. <laughs> so are you a dual citizen? I am, yes. Oh, very cool. How did you manage that? Is like my dad's English. My mom say. lived there for twenty years. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so did they meet over in the UK? They met in London. Okay. And then they were like, We don't want to have kids in London. We're gonna move to California and they ended up in Arizona. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So your mom was from here and was just my living mom, in London? My mom grew up on Long Island, um, went to BU as a musicology major. And finished her studies at King's in London and then got a job there at working for a music publishing company. And her first husband was English. She lived there for a while. But my dad, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They decided to bring them back here. Nice. Very cool. We're close to the point where it's time for your story. Would you like to let us know what you have for us today and start your story for us? Sure. In February, I was part of the annual uh, Vaginal Monologues at DePaul production. This was my third year doing it. And my second time writing an original piece for the show. And so I wanted to share that. Growing up girl was like, my mom was the one who worked. So it didn't matter that I was put in the female box. She got two degrees in four years, had kids in her 40s, and beta-tested Google Glass. Our summer road trips were built around whichever cities were hosting her work conferences that year. She's organized and motivated, and she's always been one of my biggest role models. Growing up girl, I was confident in myself, until my dad told me that my PMS was inconvenient. If you're incapacitated for a week out of every month, it's no wonder you aren't as good as the boys. It's been about a decade, and I still haven't grown out of my shame. I don't want to pass on this shame to a child. I would almost definitely fuck them up in every possible way, anyway. If fertility is feminine, then take it from me. But no one does. Growing up girl, I didn't conform. I was different. I didn't know what that meant. I've never understood what it means to be normal, even as I've tried to fit into what this society calls womanhood and femininity. These are just words. 
My uterus has no gender. Menstruating does not make me female. Sometimes I wonder what it would have been like growing up boy. My name would have been Lincoln. Like the president. Or the Lincoln Logs toy. Or a little like LinkedIn. Meaning connecting and bringing together. Growing up boy, crying might have meant that I was bullied for being weak. Read feminine. I've seen too many boys grow hard and violent because they're told it's masculine. Growing up boy could have turned me into the man who thinks every woman who shows any interest in him must be romantically attracted to him. The man who thinks anything other than heterosexuality is an attack on his specific masculinity. The man who refuses to deal with his trauma and ends up inflicting it on those around him. But my name is Aurora, and I am the dawn, and the light, and my tears were still too much, so I shoved them so far down that now, when I see Phoebe Bridgers live in concert and her lyrics tug at the tears somewhere near my feet, they can't climb all the way back to my eyes. And my name is sometimes Ori, and I am my own light. And my professors tell my parents I'm a star, and I stand there listening as they misgender me, and blaming myself, because I've never corrected them, because I, what I want most is for them not to gender me at all. Even my friends don't always understand. A lot of people who see me as feminine tend to think I'm not trans enough, whatever that means, and almost no one sees me as masculine, because I have boobs, with a capital B. And I don't want to get rid of them, because it's not my body that's wrong. It's the way you gender it, the way you tell me what I am just because I have a vagina. It really sucks that mainstream androgyny isn't inclusive of body types other than thin, white, and flat-chested. It sucks because as long as I have G-cup breasts, the best I can hope for in terms of how most other people see me is butch lesbian or woman in drag. Most other facets of my identity are generally accepted as invisible to the naked eye. Yet my role in society is apparently dependent on my lack of a penis, the curves of my face and body, the pitch of my voice. What is it in me that pulls she out of your mouth? Growing up girl, I didn't know what felt wrong. Growing up girl, I was lost. First I was boy-ish. Then I discovered I love wearing makeup. But then I wanted a pixie cut. And I think I've always known I'm not meant to be a mother. Growing up girl, I confused myself with what everyone else expected me to be. And I buried the real me where I couldn't hear it telling me that I know what's wrong. And it isn't me. Growing up girl was all I knew. But I was never her. Wow, thank you so much. That was beautiful. Yeah. So many so many thoughts. I feel I do. <laughs> <laughs> so many feelings, so many thoughts. Wow. You did mention makeup in your bio and you mentioned it again in um I in just like Mara. forgot to put lipstick on today. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have worn today for this? Purple? I do have a purple. It's like a. It's like a. It's like like almost black. Yes. 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 Nice. <laughs> is that what you were thinking? Yes. <laughs> nice. Oh no! Nice. Like, I can see that Most right now. <laughs> I, I, I also have this like bluish green. Nice. Like a teal or turquoise. Mm, closer to a teal, and it's metallic. Ooh, that's fun. <laughs> really fun. I love that you had that down as like one of your coping mechanisms because. Mm -hmm. Lipstick is armor. I put it on, and then it it makes 
it makes it easier for me to smile. Nice. Oh, I love that. I love that that should so be wholesome. like on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of want that on something. <laughs> That'd okay. be a good Market. lipstick slogan, wouldn't it? I don't know if I'm going to make lipstick, but I can make a t-shirt that says that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Trademark it. That. Make it part of your brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I took this music entrepreneurship class last quarter, and it was kind of like everything you do has to be part of your brand. And I was like, late stage capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, whatever makes you money now, at least, just bank on it. Like, yeah. That's definitely something that I'll buy and I will buy and I will talk about. Right. Like, hey, look at this fucking shirt I got. Want <laughs> <laughs> to know who made it? it? This person made it. Where can you buy it? Here. And just give all your money. Just take it. Right. <laughs> but when did you start using makeup as like a coping, me- a coping mechanism? I want to say like somewhere in my sophomore year was when I started realizing, wow, fuck, I'm mentally ill. <laughs> okay. And that was also when I started like having gender feels and being like, I am not girl or woman. What? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, if I put on lipstick, people won't see that I'm depressed. Mm. That makes you look happy and smile. Yeah. And it was also like, it was kind of calming to like trace the outline of my lips because like my lips are one part of my body that I've never felt insecure about Mm -hmm. and so like to accentuate that was has been very calming for me I imagine there's also a piece where like you mentioned in your story like people misgendering you and having to deal with that and having that confidence to take on something that's seen as so feminine and use that Mm -hmm. as a coping skill to make you feel good and then also knowing that it's going to probably lead to even more misgendering. How do you kind of manage those things? Together? I mean, the, the thing is, like, at this point, I'm going to be misgendered pretty much the same, mm-hmm. whichever way I present. And in in my process of, like, coming out, figuring out my identity, I've been I've been lucky to be surrounded by people who are very clear that, like, however you present doesn't determine your identity. Like, you can mm-hmm. still present as feminine as you want to, and that doesn't invalidate the fact that you are a non-binary. I feel like that has helped a lot, the support that I've had. Also, I get compliments when I wear lipstick. Mm-hmm. And even if the compliments are coming from someone who sees me as a woman, it's still a compliment. It still gives me dopamine. So, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. So that's kind of like a literal, like mental health boost right yeah get that little dopamine shot it's like oh that feels nice someone likes me (laughs) (laughs) i love all of the ways in that piece that you talked about how we categorize gender and how we just start from like that young age like putting people in those boxes of you do this this goes in this box you look like this piece of your body looks like this, so we're going to put you in this box, and how that just imposes so much. Yeah, I was like, the other week I saw a post in one of the exchange groups in the Chicago area, and it was like, it was someone, I think it might have been the unofficial buy nothing group, and someone was giving away baby clothes. And like, all of the comments were like, I'm looking for girl clothes, or I'm looking for boy clothes. Mm. And I was just like, these clothes are literally the same. They're just different colors. <laughs> <Yeah>. What? <laughs> yes. yes. 
And even like the historical component of that, right, was like to make money for advertisers. Like they weren't gendered yeah. in the past. And, and pink it's like, used oh, to we be can make color. more money yeah. if we gender this and put these different like male and female sayings on it and we're going to double our revenue. And <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. Really and they're babies. Yeah. yeah. They're not going to care what they wear. <laughs> I don't even remember being a baby i'm sure i didn't care right right yeah and i think it comes down to too like more about what the parent is concerned others will think yes yeah it's like i want all my friends to know that this is a girl baby and what if they misgender my baby like okay most babies are genderless in appearance so Yeah. (laughs) yeah or all really all like Babies are genderless in appearance. You're not. Babies don't care. No. We teach (laughs) them to care about it. I don't do. Sometimes. I mean, like, you're definitely right about, like, all of this. Mm -hmm. I'm just, like, thinking back at, like, my parents and my Mm -hmm. mom because I have, like, boy clothes, like, everywhere. Like, my parents bought, me and my sister, boxers, and we would just run around the house in boxers because it'd be the cheapest thing and the most comfortable thing. And, like, we would get dressed up and, like all different types of clothing and mostly because like for whatever reason boys clothes are cheaper than go- girls clothes yeah and there's have that pockets too. and like more like accessibility is, all all of my all of the pairs of pants that i own with one exception are men's pants because i cannot stand not having pockets yeah. yes like all it's a necessity time. like you have to have pockets i saw a post recently that was something like why does my five-year-old boy's pants have more pockets than my grown women pants like what do they need to put in their pockets more than i Stones. do yeah <laughs> yeah it was something like people were responding with that i'm like yeah right like, like i also want to put stones in my pockets what yeah the heck? what if i find a really pretty stone i want to put in my pocket and i can't because it's one inch deep like this is ridiculous. I saw little quartz. You just want to fit in your pocket and walk around with it, right? Come on. I saw this this other post about like Star Trek uniforms and how they don't have pockets, <laughs> <laughs> which like they don't need pockets, of course. Yeah. But it's just like it made me think about like how pockets can be used as a way of controlling people because like women's pants don't have pockets to get them to buy purses yep that's literally why yes that's the reason i went out with friends last night and it was a more like formal type event you couldn't wear jeans and i wore these black pants that have all these like fake zipper pockets on it like it literally is just a seam behind it and i loathe carrying purses i hate having to have something in my hands all the time and not feel free yeah and i had to bring a wristlet to put my phone in and to put my keys in and it drove me crazy all night because i never carry anything with me and i just felt so restricted and so like i had something i had to like almost take care of like Mm -hmm. keep track of and i was dancing and it's like i'm not just dancing because I'm holding this stupid thing. And it yeah. just feels restrictive to me to have a purse or even just a little wristlet. And it's frustrating. It I really is. Put stuff in my pocket. I don't care if they're nice pants. Put a pocket in it. <laughs> Please. Even something like that's gendered. Like how something as little as a pocket is so gendered. Yeah. I can't wait until we get into the future where everyone just wears white. And like white pants, white tops. Is like, that your vision? Grass stains. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have fake 
Raz. Hit the live anymore, so it won't matter. Everything looks clean. Doesn't matter anymore. Stains and period stains. Yeah, right. Nobody's gonna have periods anymore. You can like it'll be obsolete. Birth will be an option. You don't have to do things anymore. Just like whatever. You need to write something about this world. I th- I, like I, I want this science fiction trilogy <laughs> right? now. Right? <laughs> I just don't want any of these things. I'm just like waiting for it. Like all of these sci-fi fiction movies just have me like hooked and really excited for a future where none of these things matter. Like nothing matters. <laughs> like all have, the like... sci-fi universes were given are universes where they still matter. What the heck? What? Okay, I need to, okay, we need to like have a conversation about movies because like <laughs> I'm thinking about a very specific what movie. What movie are you thinking about? <laughs> I'm thinking of a very specific movie where literally like everyone in the future is just wearing white, like big television screens of advertisement, everyone wearing white. Everyone's in this like dystopian future where there's this like trees what movie is this? and like oh, Mr. Nobody. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're like just waiting for you to drop the name. We're like, are you gonna tell us? Are you gonna be like, go figure it out? The movie's called Mr. Nobody. I'm not sure if it's still it. on Netflix or not. It's like with Jared Leto and he. Even though I hate him, he has like three. <laughs> he's like he's like three. He's living out three different lives in the movie, and like the original like OG self of him is like him sitting in a bed and he's dying. He's an old man, but he's reliving all of these accounts that happened with three different people, and it's so weird. It's like a two-hour-long movie, but like at the end of the movie and like in between clips, like it's like they're showing him. He has the option to live or die, and he chooses to die, but he comes back to life, and like everything is like weird, like the future it's just like it's really confusing but that's the reason why i brought this up the reason why i brought it up is because like the future is just like clean and like nobody but cares. why but why is white clean because that feels like stop it i know exactly where you're going i understand white is the absence of color it shouldn't be the like end all be all cleanliness yes. that's like a topic of white supremacy and i get it i understand <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> But I like the fact that I can just like look at it and it's just like, oh my gosh, wow. But I no feel so, I, I feel so much cleaner in black because people can't see that I'm sweating. Fair, fair. You can't see stains in black. Yeah. I understand. Well, we can all wear black and there's no periods and no gender and no grass <laughs> stains because no one sees them because you're all wearing black. I don't care. <laughs> Either way. You just, you just want everyone to wear color. There's one color. But what? But I like green. Can't I wear green? You can dye your hair green. Right. <laughs> You could be a sprout, The bleach would kill you... my hair. Okay. In the future, none of this matters. <laughs> Sorry, we're tweeting we your product. Science, <laughs> science is still going to matter. Si- okay, okay. Yes, science will matter. Science will obviously matter all the time. Hopefully in the future, we will come so far with science that everything is solved. Everything is solved. Yes, we have a scientific solution to all of that. Yes. Are we going to get there before... Climate change destroys us? See, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> you're asking valid questions. I'm trying to figure out answers as you're asking them, and I'm very startled. <laughs> Maybe not. But if that's the case, we can just get rid of the Earth, and we'll just, like, you know, be reborn into, like, plasma and, like, stars. Plasma? And it won't matter. Okay. Yeah. Plasma is the stuff in our blood, right? Mm, I'm thinking more, like, plasma, like, so hot, like, lava. Like, oh, that. Plasma. Lava. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Plasma. yeah. yeah. I'm thinking like that plasma, but okay. also yes, you're a judge. I'm hoping that is that the case because that would be really weird. It's like 
there. I don't care like meta and like think the plasma in our blood might be in its own universe, and we don't even know. (laughs) That would be a good like story to tell. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't care what physical form my flesh prison takes. Fair. At the end of the day, this is it. (laughs) I just like wanna not be as depressed. That's fair. That's fair. Whatever makes you happy. That makes me happy. But if that doesn't make you happy, <laughs> that's cool too. We, we can have multiple futures, and one of the futures will be one where everyone is wearing white. Or black. Or ha- both. Does that mean I have to give up purple? <laughs> <laughs> fuck it, okay? Be a rainbow. I'm gonna fuck. Do whatever you want. <laughs> you know I had to. Wear a rainbow if you want. I don't care. And maybe maybe you wake up and the <laughs> mood that you feel like is the color you present. Yeah, with like an aura. Can we glow? Yes. yes. <laughs> you wake up and you're like, I'm gonna glow this color today, and you're just all that color, and you just glow through your day. But what if like hues of that color throughout yes. the day? Is it changing? What if what also like an aura just? Sorry. No, say it. (laughs) What if also, like, we didn't have to physically do anything to put clothes on? We were just like, this is the color I am today, and those clothes appeared. This is just me. That would be so good. Executive dysfunction is a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. This went a direction I never would have predicted, but it's so fun. I'm hearing future stories being written for the children of the world. (laughs) And it's coming from this podcast. Right? If anybody (laughs) takes this and writes something from this. Trademark. Just, let us know. Yeah, just Pay let us, us know. Us. <laughs> you know. Give us a plug. <laughs> let us know we like spurred this amazing idea <laughs> for your writing or movies or yes. whatever you want to create. Go for it. I, I do like the future though, the one that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm like in my head, I'm, just to make us all happy, we can all have like mm-hmm. different ways to like transport ourselves different di- dimensions that have different examples of these futures so yeah. we're not stuck in one like the oh has anybody watched yeah. the OA? Yeah, it's okay. yeah. <laughs> especially because like it's what what if like right now i want to be in a future where everyone wears green all the time but i get tired of that at one point and i want to experience something else like we can just like move yes. be, be fluid yes yeah so like have portals i guess would it be a portal maybe mm-hmm. yeah Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, think about it. It's like almost like interstellar, but not really. Yeah. Hmm. And then all the gender and sexual orientation is just like irrelevant because you just are whatever you are. Yeah. And you don't have to box yourself up and label it. You're just a being yeah. living. Yeah. I love it. I like that. We just created something. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm so glad I was here for this. <laughs> right? You were Thank fine. you for contributing. <laughs> All of your hard-hitting questions that really solidified right. <laughs> making this a reality. Yes, that's so fun. Sometimes you gotta ask the hard questions to get the results. <sighs> yes, true. It's true. You never know what's going on. <laughs> I love it. So I'm kind of wondering. We talked a little bit about your parents, and I'm curious, like how they've kind of responded to you coming out as non-binary and talking about your gender identity. Yeah. So I hide my my posts, most of my posts on Facebook from my dad, so he doesn't see them. Mm. Most of the gender posts. Um, but I'm out to him. I I came out to him like about six months after I came out to my mom because she was like, 
you can't do this anymore. You're coming out to him. And I was like, mm. okay. So kind of pushed into it a little. Yeah. And he was like, I don't care. But then a couple days later, he called me and he was like, you got to stop caring when people misgender you. Because mm. it's just going to hurt you unnecessarily. And I was like, I get where you're coming from. I, I understand that you don't want me to be hurt. But it's not a choice that's that easy for me to make. Yeah, I think I've noticed, well, I've noticed with my parents a little bit, I should say, that, like, that sometimes is that response, right? It's like, well, I want you to do X because you're going to be hurt if you don't. Mm -hmm. But not understanding, like, it's a piece of you you can't just take away. And like, I'm going to be hurt gonna either be way. And impacted mm -hmm. by it. Yeah. yeah. It's not a switch you can just, like, turn on and off. It's gone. Nope, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> I, had I was really, I was really excited. <laughs> we were like anticipating. We saw it. I was just like, yeah, I have a question, but it's gone. It's in the air. It's not plasma. plasma. <laughs> <laughs> I I wrestle with words all the time. It's really it's, it's tough. It's I, so I hard. I feel like I should be reading more books so I can just like know the word that I'm trying. I to read a of. lot. But it doesn't help. Stop. <laughs> I was just going to ask, does it help? It's like, thank you for confirming and also making me kind of sad. It doesn't matter. That. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, a lot of what I read is maybe badly written fan fiction. Ah, okay. You have to add that caveat. <laughs> <laughs> right. But like, some of it's actually very good fan fiction. Mm, like, good meaning. Like, not my immortal. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do... I do Semi shit postally believe that my immortal is the pinnacle of fan fiction. Why? <laughs> because it's just so ubiquitous. It's like. Oh, also give background of what this is. My immortal is a, a Harry Potter fan fiction <laughs> that's like. It's about this girl who's extremely goth. And. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. actually not read the whole thing. <laughs> How far are you into the. I think I only got a few chapters in. Okay. And then I was just like, I'm going to meme about it and pretend I read it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's fair. That's usually how it goes. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it goes with reading stuff. And sometimes it's how, it's how it goes with shows. I never finished Friends, but I'm still like, it's trash. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have to watch all of something to know if you think it's trash? I mean... Do you have to force yourself to watch mm, all of I something? I love Friends only because I like how ridiculous it can get yeah like i watched fair. through the end and i cried like yeah. i it was it i was love a very good friends for me. but it's one of those things now i look back i'm like oh yeah that's someone's super problematic yeah i think <laughs> that's I, me with parks and rec really because mm -hmm. i because i watched parks and rec when i was a freshman and so i was not socially conscious mm -hmm. and so i was just like this is funny and looking back on it i'm like not so funny. <laughs> Again, yeah. one of my faces that you can't see on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> they made a concerned face. <laughs> like teeth gritting and all. So. <laughs> you mentioned you write, too, so you blog. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I blog. So because I don't have a therapist right now, I'm like, I got to get this out somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, I started the blog a little over a year ago because I was really struggling with someone who I had cared a lot about who uh, removed themselves from my life because they believed it was better for me. And I was like, this hurts. 
I'm going to write about it. So yeah, I write about mental illness stuff, queerness stuff, how I'm feeling. I took I took last August off, but other than that, I've posted every week and sometimes more than once a week. Sounds like a really great outlet to have. It's good, yeah. Sometimes also I just like, I'll write my next blog post and then I'll be like, this isn't enough. I need a therapy session. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then I like message my friends and I'm like, just telling you that I need therapy. I don't expect you to act as my therapist, but like venting about that. Mm-hmm. When did you um come into like understanding the fact that you had like a mental illness? So that was my sophomore year. I definitely like, I mean, I, I guess my freshman year, I vaguely knew something was wrong with me, but I was also very much not self-aware. And that was me in high school as well. So like sophomore year was really when I started to think about things. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think what I'm feeling is normal. And I, I talked to some of my online friends about it. At that point, almost all of my friends were online. So that was a fun time. And so I talked to them about it and they were like, yeah, that that's, yeah. And I looked up like symptoms and stuff. And last summer... I actually went through a diagnostic process, which was incredibly validating because it was like, sometimes I do still worry, like maybe I manipulated them into thinking that I have these mental illnesses. Mm. (laughs) It's great. I love invalidating myself. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, it, it was, it was very validating because I was like, it's not just me who thinks this. It's not just other people who aren't trained in this stuff who think this it's like someone who's actually a professional um, like telling me you do experience these things it is not just your brain playing tricks on you mm-hmm. and so that was that was big yeah yeah that can be really validating yeah. for people to that's i think when labels sometimes <clears throat> can be helpful and there's also yeah. controversy within the psychology field about how much diagnosis is important to treatment, but right. sometimes it could be important to a client because then they have something to help them understand what's been happening. Yeah. Like for me, I wanted the diagnoses as a way to like, if I don't have access to therapy, at least I know like maybe like certain thing, th- certain things will help me mm-hmm. and certain things won't help me based on like the mental illnesses that I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. We're almost at that time. Really? Shameless promo. <laughs> Go. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> now it's the time to shamelessly promote all the things that you do. If you'd like. Yeet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they won't be able to tell if I dabbed or not, so. <laughs> she yeeted me across the room just letting you know <laughs> so um my blog is called words are hard it's on wordpress my instagram is underscore underscore aurora laurie which is my name a-u-r-o-r-a-l-a-w-r-i-e i also have a lot of content on my facebook although most of that is in groups i will post things on my timeline occasionally and that's obviously my name because that's how Facebook works. Yeah, Facebook kind of forces that on us. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm actually starting a YouTube channel. 
I need to like figure that out. Okay. So follow your blog to find out if that happens. Follow my, talk about follow my social media. Social media. Okay. I might announce it on the blog, but I don't know. Also, I write fan fiction. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> I'm on Archive of Our Own. My username is dabs underscore into underscore oblivion. Oh, nice. my goodness. <laughs> I it, it was it was my username like two years ago and I just didn't change it. Don't ever change it. <laughs> dabs into oblivion. I will never forget that. <laughs> and that's what's important, right? To be memorable so people. Absolutely. Yeah. Where can I find that fan section? Ah, oh, dabs into oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Most of what I've written so far is Star Trek Discovery fan fiction, but I'm after season eight of Game of Thrones is when I'm going to be doing all of my Game of Thrones fan fiction because nice. like right now it's too close. I can't start a fic now and then just be like, wait, never mind, this isn't canon anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have the whole story first. Then... Yeah, nice. like the time to write Game of Thrones fan fiction really would have been like in the past year and a half when we've been waiting for this season. But I didn't. <laughs> so that's where we are. <laughs> so something to look forward to in the future. Yes. Hopefully. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. Thank it's you. It's great having you. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Queer Stories. Also check out the creator of our podcast music, B. Studwell. She's an incredible queer artist from D.C. And you can check out her music at bstudwell.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes, don't forget to rate us so others will be able to find our podcast. Talk, Talk to you all, all next week. week. Next time on Beyond Queer Stories. But when I saw that trans child in the pride parade with their hands outstretched, a sequined scarf flowing around their body, I couldn't help but remember myself at their age being told to go in the boys' bathroom. I remembered the shame, the insistence on following the status quo. I wanted that child to finally come out and express myself just as this one had.